0: Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty For Her, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. We're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Liberty for Her podcast. We are so happy that you're with us this morning, and we're happy because we get to hear from Dr. Sophia Yen, and you guys are in for a treat. Anybody who's a female is in for a treat. You're going to learn a lot about business and maybe a few other things. Welcome, Dr. Sophia Yen. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about your company, Pandia Health?
1: Yeah, so Pandia is the Greek goddess of healing, light, full moon. We purposely chose Pandia because we wanted a goddess. We are about women's empowerment and making women's lives easier. And I also made up the definition, pan is every, dia is day. So we have you covered every day, set it and forget it, let Pandia worry, so you don't have to. And about six years, seven years ago, I was giving a talk to a bunch of physicians. Why don't women take their birth control? What is their problem? Mm. And one of the top reasons was didn't have it in our hands. We didn't have time to run to the pharmacy every single month and the proscribe seven days. And most of us run out on Sundays. So if you go the weekend before, they're like, "Uh uh-uh, this is eight or nine (laughs) days ahead of time. You have to come back Monday. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I have work. I have children. I have things to do. I can't come back, you know. And they're like, sorry. Sorry. Then you got to pay for it out of pocket. And we as women are like, okay. And so my friend and I were like, we could solve this. We will ship you birth control and keep shipping it to you until you tell us to stop. And then we ran ads, free birth control delivery. About 60% of those that responded, six zero, did not have a prescription. And as an entrepreneur... I don't want to miss out on 60% of the customers when I run ads. And luckily, I'm a physician. So thus, the whole idea of Pandia Health was born, the end-to-end solution for birth control, from an online doctor's visit, if you need it, to the delivery, which is our main interest and focus. And so you can do just the delivery or just the online doctor's visit or the whole thing. So we work well with your doctor's office. We're happy to have your doctor write it, deal with the side effects and not us. We charge only 20 bucks once a year to use our expert physicians. I've personally written 2000 birth control prescriptions in the past two years and seen the side effects and modified our prescribing practices such that when you start a pill, 95% of women do great on it, but it's the 5% that have issues and we know how to tweak that because of our experience and
0: sharing that with our team of passionate physicians. Okay, go back a little bit. So you're a physician You and another physician decide we can cure this problem, we can handle this problem of women not having access to birth control. You put out Google ads, people respond, and then you said something interesting. You said, as a physician and an entrepreneur, did you already consider yourself to be an entrepreneur? Definitely when I'm starting this company
1: I'm an entrepreneur, it For was sure. that leap, right? Okay. It was me and my friend. We see this problem. We have a solution. We're going to start a company. We're going to make this happen. She isn't a physician. She is a serial entrepreneur herself. She's quite accomplished. Got her JD from Harvard, but then started the... Stanford Social Innovation Review, because, you know, lawyers like to start things. (laughs) And then she started a nonprofit. And then she and I were just talking as women and women who want to improve women's lives, because she has this nonprofit side to her. I have the physician side, you know, wanting to do good. We saw a problem. It needed a solution. And we decided to do it. And if anyone else was doing it the right way, we wouldn't have to do it. We are the only women-founded, women-led. We are the only doctor-led company in this space. No one else has a CEO doctor, and I'm the only CEO that I know of in birth control that has taken the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. We will always tell you what's best for your health, even if it's not best for our bottom line. But Mm -hmm. I will make money for my investors, but I won't do it pushing stuff you don't need or giving you stuff that might hurt your long-term health.
0: And you say that having studied the landscape before you got into it or as a result of getting into it, understanding that that's a differentiator for you.
1: Yeah. So when we were looking at this company, we knew that it needed to be women-founded, women-led. Yeah. Uh, the doctor-led was just as an aside. Yeah. And then a as pretty a pretty important, important aside, <laughs> but okay, I get it. Yeah. I think so too. You'd yeah. be really shocked how many telemedicine companies are not led by physicians. They'll have a chief medical officer, mm-hmm. but I think that some of the chief medical officers don't know what's going on once what they've created is implemented. Because I've talked to some physicians on other people's platforms and I was like, Did you know your service is pushing a particular drug? And never in the history of medicine has a physician been like, Do you want this drug? We're like, yeah. Here are your options. You know, which one would you like? Not. This is the drug. And she was like, No, I didn't know that. And I was like, Did you know that your system is an opt-out versus an opt-in? Have you ever been in a doctor's office and they're like, I'm gonna write you this unless you stop me? You know? (laughs) No, we like, do you want it? Okay, and then we write it. And so we are seeing that is the difference between good and bad telemedicine. If you are gonna use telemedicine, I absolutely recommend it for what it's safe and good for. But if it's your doctor, go right ahead, because you already chose that doctor, you already vetted that doctor, you trust that doctor, you have a relationship. But if you're picking between two equal companies, maybe pick the one that's doctor-led, maybe take the one that is woman-led, woman-founded, if it's a
0: woman's health issue. Sure, sure. Somebody who actually knows the product, right? And then you talked about partnering with this woman who was a serial entrepreneur. Did she bring that sort of business acumen in or was the focus was really more on your experience and she was maybe bringing infrastructure into it or kind of imagining what this could look like and what you might have to overcome as entrepreneurs?
1: Yeah, and I had several co-founders, but Perlini was the original instigator of it all. And she is just a person who makes things happen and brings the ideas and the infrastructure. And I had the domain expertise and the passion. This is kind of a culmination of my life's work. I've done 20 plus years in reproductive rights activism. I've developed this relationship with women's nonprofits and I live, breathe, eat, and prescribe birth control. So I am not just CEO, but I'm a member of... The team, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it's bringing together this experience and passion to make things happen and the ability. She's done a couple startups before and bringing in the physician who has the knowledge and the expertise and the quality to build the product. So I guess I'm like the chief medical officer, chief technology officer on the product. We also had, um, we have our CTO, co-founder, programmer guy, love him, such a nice guy. He just likes to make things happen and so thankful for him. And then I had brought in my sorority sister who had not done startups before but had run big businesses. And so she was COO. So that way she could run all the scut I didn't want to do. yeah, like the financial model, getting insurance, contracts, HR, legal. I could do that, but so much nicer to have my sorority sister take care of it.
0: Well, and I think what you've just described is bringing a team that could bring their best self and then making this other entity that was the best of all of you. I want to ask you, because you mentioned your first partner, what would you say to those listening who are considering a partnership, what would you say, we're getting into the advice a little bit, which I usually say for the second half, but I can't pass this up. What would you say to look out for to, you know, make sure you dot this I and cross this T if you're going into a partnership?
1: This to me is my third child. I have Mm. two children. This is my third child. And this one is very needy. And this one is 24 (laughs) seven. And startup is intense. I thought that residency, pulling an all-nighter every fourth night was horrific, and then I thought breastfeeding, which I think is amazing, but the reality of it, every two to three hours for three months straight is crazy, and startup is the next level because not only are you pulling all-nighters, but you have the pressures of... It's one thing to screw your life. It's another thing to bring other people with you. And then it's another thing to ask friends and family to throw money into this thing. I would rather die than not pay back my brother, my cousin, and anyone else who has invested in me. It's so amazing that these people have invested in this company and what we're building. And I think that's a different attitude for women. Men would just be like, "Meh," you know, you knew the risk investing and it's fine. You walk away. But the women are like, "Yeah, what'd you do with my money? You lost it, (laughs) stuff like that. So when you're choosing a partner, know that you're in it for the long haul, that you need to trust this person. Mm. And ideally I've seen them say it. And I think it's horrible because then it prevents those of us who are newbies to get in here, that you've worked together and you know each other. But I've built together a team of many people I've never worked with. And I've just been lucky that they are good people. But I've also had experiences in the past that you should get everything in writing. And when it comes to money, people get ugly. And then never, this happened to me, get on a phone call and have somebody pressure you to agree to anything. You should always say, I'm going to talk to my lawyer or wait or whatever. But I was like, screw this fine whatever and i like gave in and i shouldn't have at a particular point oh, But for this company women founded women led luckily everybody's been professional we've had a couple of founders
0: leave but on good terms oh that's good to hear and i think the good people part is important i think everybody knowing what we're in for what's the objective here what's the long-term objective so that we're working towards a a common goal. Oftentimes you see people come in because they're excited about the idea or because they're sorority sisters, good friends, and they forget that they are not each bringing something to the table that independent of one another. And that can get really uncomfortable because now it's competing.
1: When when you're talking about egos, when you're talking about money, I've seen that with women. And it's funny because my husband, He's been a manager for the longest time. And he's like, I've never seen such trauma. And I feel that's sad because we want women founded, women led. But women have things that we don't say. And we should just say, you know, I'm a blunt person. (laughs) Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Know that I'm never here to offend you. I'm just here to make a better product. Yeah. So say what you mean. Don't leave anything hidden or back thoughts because it'll just come back later perhaps. Yeah. And
0: oftentimes we think we've said it right. We think that we've articulated something. We think that we've been clear. But when it's couched in such a way that somebody has to kind of try and unpack what you just said, you're not being as clear as you think you are. Like in an effort to safeguard someone from negative feelings. I think we don't. We're not direct enough. That's great. Great advice. Thank you. Thank you for that. We'll take that one into the rest of the week. I can only imagine because of the product, this is birth control, this is a pill that somebody's ingesting, that there were some legal things that you had to overcome. What, besides the, I'm a doctor and I know what this is for, and the piece where you're able to manage your patients one-on-one because you have that relationship, now you're dealing drugs (laughs) across the country and you, you don't have that relationship with people. What are some of the regulations that you had to overcome? What are some of the issues that you were just nervous about as a physician who did take an oath? Like, what were the things that felt insurmountable that you just one by one unpacked and dealt with?
1: Well, I think it's important. Anybody going into some sort of entrepreneurship with medicine who's not from medicine realize how hard it was for me to become a physician. And if you do anything that jeopardizes my license, I'm going to be pretty angry. So we've seen other CEOs who aren't MDs and they treat the physicians and the pharmacists like commodities. Well, if we break this law, we'll just pay a fine. But that doctor has lost their license. They cannot practice medicine. You know how hard it was to get into medical school? You know how hard it was to do residency and all the tests I have to take every five to 10 years. And you just destroyed me because you wanted to make money. We've seen other companies that did stuff that were so obvious that we would never do. One company, they were not a pharmacy, but they worked with a pharmacy. And if stuff got returned, it got returned to them, which is not a pharmacy. And then they put the drugs in a shoe organizer. And then put stickers and send them back out. I would hope most people, it'd be intuitively obvious, that doesn't seem quite right. But as a physician and a person who handles drugs and a person who knows that people will tamper with packages, you sent it out there. Maybe somebody poked holes in it and poured cyanide in it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they radiated it. Or maybe they filled it with, you know, some weird chemical you don't know. This is not standard of care. You are not a pharmacy. Why are you doling drugs out of a shoe organizer? Or we've seen with another company, they want to sell drugs and they see this high profit margin on beta blockers. And they're like, oh, are you nervous for a date? Why don't you just pop a pill? And I was like, Uh, no. If a woman is nervous about a date, maybe the dude's a creep. Maybe she should look at the relationship. Yeah. But also beta blockers. As an adolescent medicine physician, if you give somebody a beta blocker and they have asthma and then can't breathe their asthma med is not going to work like this is
0: not okay. <laughs> this so is those not safe. so those are things you've seen in the market and specific to birth control. What did you have to overcome? You knew that yes. you had to protect obviously your future as a doctor, but what did you have to overcome in terms of getting this product out there and just to start delivering you know like did you just go to cvs and get a bunch of what was that process i did not go to a pharmacy and
1: just buy a whole bunch of drugs and start throwing them out so because i'm a physician and because i'm a woman and wanted to make sure we had every piece possible we originally had a pharmacy co-founder and unfortunately she needed to get paid full pay because we live in silicon valley she has a house she has children blah blah and so it didn't work out because we only had three customers and we couldn't pay, you know, if few You, were, you, you were a startup. Yeah, you were yeah. a startup. <laughs> and so that is the hard part about startups is you have to be poor for a while. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, but we did set everything up legally and safely. So one, I would say, get all your lawyers right. So mm-hmm. we got a JD PharmD to cover the pharmacy law. We got a telemedicine specialist to cover that. We have a startup lawyer to cover that. And I just wanted to make sure that no one's going to lose their license and no one's going to get sued and that we're not going to get shut down for breaking the law. That is the basis. In terms of difficulties, what's been difficult is telemedicine is the wild, wild west. Yes, And they define it differently in different states. What we do is asynchronous telemedicine. And some states specifically say asynchronous telemedicine is not telemedicine. And it's like, You just said it was, and now you're saying it's not. It's in the definition, asynchronous telemedicine, but whatever. What asynchronous telemedicine is, our patients fill out a questionnaire, same 20 questions I'd ask you if you came into my office. What are your medical problems? What medications are you on? Do you have breast cancer, liver cancer, blood clots, et cetera, et cetera. And then a self-reported blood pressure from the Mm -hmm. past 365 days. You can call up your doctor's office and be like, hey, what was my blood pressure last time? Or you can go, my suggestion, go to the fire station, and they're all EMTs and have them check your blood pressure, but take a deep breath and be calm for five minutes. Don't get all excited. <laughs> and then, and so that's asynchronous. And then our physicians can look at it 24-7. So it's really nice. It's convenient. There's no phone. There's no video. And it's confidential. Because if you do a video or a phone, and I'm like, when was your last period? Is there any possible way you could be pregnant? And you're like, there's no way I could be pregnant. I haven't had sex for six months. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Could you say that a little louder? Mm. I haven't had sex for six months. And everyone in the house is like, you know, yeah. or everybody at Starbucks, right? Yeah. So asynchronous telemedicine has been a problem because there are certain states that won't allow asynchronous telemedicine unless you've seen the doctor first. The whole point of this is to increase access. If I could see you in person first, then we wouldn't be doing this. I would have done it when I saw you, you know? Right. And so that has been a barrier, needing the laws to be changed on a state-to-state level. The bonus, unfortunately, has been COVID.
0: I was just going to say, COVID 2020 changed things for you guys and probably opened doors. And the market got used to something really quickly that it would have taken years and years to get used to. So I imagine this was all some of the silver lining for yes, uh, 2020. That is absolutely
1: guys. the silver lining. We were like meh on customers and then COVID came and it's just been 10% month over month. And it's because as exactly as you said, no physicians wanted to do telemedicine. No physicians trust telemedicine. I'm still kind of wary of the limitations. And I think yeah. listeners should know not everything should be done on telemedicine. If I sure. can't listen to your heart and lungs... If I can't check your blood pressure, your oxygenation, if you have anything in the breathing area, I don't recommend
0: telemedicine until we have that technology. Sure, sure. I know we had to use it this year, and it was fantastic, actually, because both times it was just a checkup with two of my kids. had checkups with their doctor, and it would have just been literally she needed to just physically see that one was a wound that my son had on his hand, and the other one was just a dermatology appointment for my daughter. So it was just like checking up. It was nothing. And it was perfect. I was like, this is genius. We can do this all day, every day in this format.
1: Yeah. Telemedicine's great for dermatology. We do weight clinic. As long as you have a scale and yeah. you're being honest.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's the trick. That second part and you're being honest. many have pivoted during this pandemic. We too have shifted to meet the needs of our growing community of female founders. We want to use this podcast conversation as a starting point for deeper dialogue and to connect you to the resources, tools, and tips shared within these interviews. Please join us on the Liberty Network to connect, collaborate, and keep talking. And a few other perks in the Liberty Network. Join our monthly virtual Mentor Monday meetups. Create and share your profile with the whole community and access the Brain Trust of Entrepreneurial Women all for free. To join the conversation head to libertyforher.com. That's L I B E R T Y F O R H E R.com and click on the bar at the top of the homepage that says Join the Liberty Network. You've said women founded and women led a couple of times, and this is something that you're serious about. You outside of Pandia Health have co-founded and founded several organizations, and one of them is actually called Full, FFFL.co, correct?
1: And that's exactly
0: what that means. It's female founded, female led. Tell me why that was important for you.
1: Well, I think it's important that listeners know, but your listeners know, because they're entrepreneurs, but non-entrepreneurs, that only 3% of venture capital is women. Only 3% of venture-funded companies are women. And it's not that women are starting fewer companies. It's that we don't have the connections, we don't have the experience, we don't have the confidence or whatever, and we can get that and we should do that but also we as women, we hold the purse strings. Mm. We uh, control a lot of the household spending and all that stuff. So we should support female-founded, female-led. And so that is the point of full, is female-founded, female-led, and that the sky is not full unless women are participating and contributing to it. Our heart is not full unless we are 50% contributing to the situation. Mm -hmm. The glass is not full unless we are contributing to it. So when you have a company that you're patronizing, ask yourself, is this female-founded, female-led? And if there is a female-founded, female-led option, choose that one. Support your fellow uterus-bearing person and let's get (laughs) to 50%. So it's a B2C campaign to bring awareness For the longest time, our company was the only woman CEO in birth control delivery out of like seven to 10 plus companies. All these dudes coming in. How do we make money off of women? How do we make money off of women? Versus somebody who's here to make the world better, to make the world better for my daughters, to make the world better for your daughter for my granddaughters and for anybody with a uterus after that you never run out of birth control on our watch, that you know that you can use birth control, not for birth control, but for acne, for bad, evil periods, for my daughter is going to be for competitiveness. If your daughter and my daughter are both taking the SAT and one of them gets hit with her period, who do you think is going to win that game? My daughter, because she won't be bleeding randomly one week out of four. She will bleed when we want her to bleed, not we, but her. It's her choice. It's all about
0: choice, knowledge, and options. Right. I so appreciate how you've found a way to weave the things that are of value to you, both in your profession and in your vocation and your avocation, like really bringing those two things together for our listeners. I think it's just a real important piece of the puzzle as founders that we find a way outside of our business, but within our scope of interest and understanding to give back and to have our impact bleed outside of our ventures. Okay, so now I am gonna pick your brain. This is really the second half of the podcast is really when we're looking to you as an entrepreneur who's done it. And the listener is either in launch mode or growth mode, and she is paying very close attention to Dr. Yen to learn how you did it, how she did it, how you kind of brought this whole thing together. The thing that has become really interesting to me is the more I talk to women, the more I hear that they think that entrepreneurship is one of two things. They think it's a young woman's game or they think it's only a venture-backed thing, like there's nothing in between. And one of the things I wanted to dispel in this season is that the over 40 crowd has the experience has the both life experience and work experience. They bring so much wisdom into and sort of a bigger perspective into their businesses. And so I really wanna lean into that in this second half of the conversation and learn from you as a founder over 40. So first of all, what's the advice you would give to someone who has transitioned from a profession, right? They've worked for someone else, And now they've listened to this podcast, and they're like, if Dr. Yen can do it, so can I, and they want to go the entrepreneurial route. What's the advice that you would want to give her before she starts building that empire? Make sure you pick
1: something that you are passionate about Mm -hmm. because it is a long, hard road, and it's a roller coaster with the highest highs, but the lowest lows. And you may be putting your house, your children's future on the line. So I know we as women are conservative and I don't wanna scare women away from it. It's not easy. But you could also go into it and just say it's going to be great, and it will be great. Think positive, and positive things will be there. I absolutely agree with you that the 40-plus-year-old woman is the better candidate. is not the young. The stereotype in VC is a 23-year-old dude in hoodie and jeans. And even if you're a 23-year-old woman in hoodie and jeans, you're still not a 23-year-old dude in hoodie and jeans. So whatever you are is not gonna be what they're expecting. Mm. And what's most important is your idea, your product, your financial plan. So know your numbers. If you did not build a plan with profit in it, it's gonna be a lot harder to sell because they already have biases against you because you're a woman, because you have children, because you're older. Whereas I think all of these are assets. As a woman, sure. I know the market. I know how to sell it. As an older person, I've run a household. I balance the books. I'm very proud that my QuickBooks balance to the penny every single month. I've balanced a mortgage. I've done the Homeowners Association. I've been treasurer of my sorority, treasurer at MIT. I've handled a lot of people's money. So um, it's the experience that we bring to the table. And they've shown actually, in general with startups, an older founder does yeah. better. yeah.
0: There's more and more data coming out on that, both older and female, that they do better there because of some of the risk averseness that you just pointed out, that actually once they take the risk of launching the company, they're really good and strategic about the moves they make within the company. What did you learn the hard way when you launched your business?
1: Hmm.
0: Even after all that experience, what was the (laughs) one thing that was like, man... That would have been great if somebody would have just told me that.
1: Yes. One wonderful thing is called the founder's pie. So Mm -hmm. Google the founder's pie. We usually think, oh, there's, you know, five founders and you divide it up evenly. But it's who brought the idea, who wrote up the business plan and who's putting money in. And then are you contributing hours and labor and blood and sweat? And luckily, all of my founders were very magnanimous, and they're like, no, I'm just an advisor, so I'll just take this percentage. Yes, you're bringing in all the money, so you get a bigger percentage, et cetera, et cetera. So that, I think, is important, again, to set a foundation. The other thing is building your community. Mm. So I've gone through a couple of accelerators. So if you don't know, go learn but also having this group of people to support you and commiserate and to share tips so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can ask somebody a couple steps ahead of you or somebody at the equal to, you You know, hey, it sucks, but the person in front of you, hey, what did you do? How can I learn from you? Yes. So I did Springboard Enterprise. Yep. Amazing. Absolutely recommend them. I did Women's Startup Lab, an intense in-person, 24-7, two-week training. If you don't have Silicon Valley connections, they are well connected with Silicon Valley in a good way to kind of get your way in. Stanford StartX. You have to have a Stanford connection, but the secret is they have a 10% diversity and the diversity woman, and they'll let you in on that. But you do have to be recommended by somebody who's already in. So you can search your LinkedIn and see if anybody's done that. But that one is crazy because it's free and they don't take anything from you. And they used to give you 10% of every round and take whatever your terms are up through Series A, but they close that down and they're gonna redo something, but it hasn't come back yet. And then lastly, CEO. EO is a nonprofit where the women are donating, I believe $1,100 a year and they pool 500 together And then they choose five companies and give each company, uh, well, the five companies get together, argue it out, and decide what you're going to end up with. But, you know, 500,000 divided by five is roughly 100K. But then you have these 500 women supporting you. Right. And they have it in all over the world. So Canada, US, UK, Australia, et cetera. And I just love that. Women helping women. It's a nonprofit, so I think it's tax deductible. So, But having that support.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And and listeners, we will have all of this in the show notes because I'm sure you guys are trying to pull over your car if you're listening and like type it all into your phone. We'll have it there for you. That's awesome. Thank you for that. And I appreciate so much the community aspect of what you just said, having people that you can lean on. Our listeners have the Liberty community, and that's something that we constantly are seeing people you know, hey, I need to hire somebody and they'll send a message to someone through the network. Or does anybody know where I can get an export import specialist? And, and people are willing to share that information. So that community is, is everything. They're your board of advisors. They become exactly. the people that you can bounce things off of. So many people that I meet with, so many entrepreneurial people that I meet with really feel like going back to what I said, it's it's a young woman's game. And a lot of, I think, what scares them is the digital aspect, the social media piece of it, like, oh, I just, I don't know. It's something my teenage kids do, my middle schoolers do. I don't really know how to access that. I'm behind the eight ball. And you actually leaned into that by having this D2C model and covid right? Showed us all why that's so important to businesses. So many of us that were relying on other businesses, other supply chain people, and found that we had to just shut down. We couldn't move forward. Tell me, was that something that you had to overcome? Or was that a non-issue for you? Was age a non-issue for you? Or I'll just learn what I don't know on the digital kind of social media end?
1: I think the thing with startups is there's always more to learn, right? Mm -hmm. And as a physician, there's always more to learn. So you have to have that mindset. Part of medicine is suck it up. Do whatever the heck it takes to get into med school, right? Same thing with startup. You you already built that muscle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Suck it up and do whatever it takes to get your startup to happen. Right. And so I went to MIT. I'm in Silicon Valley. I love technology. I'd already done Twitter. I'd already done Facebook for my networking. I mainly do Facebook as a public service announcement in the past. It'd be like, hey, Dr. Yen learned that if your BMI is 26 or greater, plan B and its generics don't work. Tell a friend. So that's kind of the way I saw my Facebook. It wasn't like, hello, look at my cat or my recipe or blah, blah, blah. It was purely pushing reproductive rights, pushing sexual education, pushing my political agenda sometimes. And same thing with Twitter. So I already had a little bit of that. But the example of new technology that I'm adverse to is TikTok um, and Instagram. Instagram, I love what our team has done. Beautiful, curated, you know, stuff like that. I'm just not a person who knows how to put together PowerPoint and stuff like that. So mine is like, here's a picture of the condom bag in various different, you know, locations. So it's like, where's Waldo? But with the condom bag, which is my signature bag. And if you see the condom bag, it's probably me. But Anyway, there are other people with the condom bag. Do you still have it
0: next to you?
1: Yes. Okay, let's see see if we can get it to show.
0: Oh, there. We kind of get the idea. So these are little, like, clear... Yes. sliding so, envelopes mm-hmm. that you can stick them in. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> you get the idea. Google
1: Sophia Yen condom bag. You'll there, it. <laughs> <but> yeah.
0: <laughs> Don't forget the Sophia Yen part. Who knows yes. where you'll land otherwise. Oh, yes. You still saw a need in your Instagram example. You know there's a need for it. You just found other people who were good at it. And so yes. I think that's maybe the advice we're taking away is find the people who are good at those things, have them yes. do it, but always be learning. You're, that's yeah. part of being an entrepreneur. You're gonna have to lean into doing things that you don't know. Okay, that takes me right to your D 2 C model. Was that all intentional? Tell us about that. Like, ooh, I want to be in that space and I wanna be in that space with this product. Is that sort of how that was born? Because you could have done birth control education. You could have done a video series. You could. There's a lot of things that you could have done you could have created a network of doctors that found a way to expedite getting the pill into women's hands. But you chose this model. Tell us a little bit about that and what are the benefits of it?
1: Yeah. So chose it because we felt that that's would be the greatest place of adoption. Mm. Like if your insurance company has a new thing, how often do you really find out about it? You don't. Your insurance company can force you to use their thing, but again, our hope is to create a new thing that the insurance company would either wanna partner with or acquire in the future. And so we just looked at what's the best solution. Do you go through the employer or do you go direct to the woman? And we had seen everything else coming in the mail, so why not birth control? And we threw in some goodies because why not delight women? And so with every package, we send chew, or we send a soap from a female-founded, female-led company or lubricant from a female-founded, female female company. So it's a win-win. We're promoting other female founders. They're promoting us, hopefully, to their customers as well. Right now, we're doing it for free. In the future, we're gonna charge you to send your sample to these women, and the women are like, "Thank goodness, my birth control is here." Ooh, here's a new eyeliner. Here's yeah. a new cookie. Here's a new toothpaste. Here's a new thing that they can physically sample, and it's free. So who's gonna complain, right?
0: Yeah. Well, it's smart in that I'm gonna capitalize a little bit on the partners that you're bringing in for free right now. But that's so smart because we know so much about your demographic, right? If they're on the pill, yeah, and you probably know the various reasons, you yes. know a lot about that woman. yeah. Um, and so for a brand to come in and partner with you guys and be a delight, I love that you say that, like we need to surprise and delight each other from a brand to a consumer. Like yes. that's part of what we're doing and that the best marketing surprises and delights. So I love that there's that opportunity that you're looking into the future for other revenue options that can benefit from this D2C model. That's so smart. Listeners, I hope you're hearing that because that's a great way to think about the future of what you're building and what opportunities might lie ahead. What's been the benefit of this D2C model specifically in 2020 and going into 2021?
1: We specifically chose D2C because I didn't want to deal with insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I work at a major medical institution before this. And for every one physician, there are four full-time billers. And even with the billing, they only get back 70%. I don't want to do that for 20 bucks. I don't want to make all these silly little contracts with all these insurances and then hire four time billers and then only get back 70% for $20. I'm just going straight to the consumer. So right. it's really who is your payer and who's going to be easiest to get the money from? I think it's much easier to pay me 20 bucks, you know, in the old days when we would go to the ATM, you know, and yeah. you would get a 20 then for me to write all this paperwork and all this billing and filing that nobody wants to deal with.
0: Right, and for us, for the consumer, what is our cost? By you basically cutting out the middle person, middle persons potentially, right, to get that to us, you're bringing it to our door. So number one, like you're making it super easy for us. You're keeping an eye on us. If we have any of these side effects, you know how to shift us to another prescription. What is the cost for this for us as a consumer?
1: Yeah, it was a perfect storm of laws and regulation when I started this company. And it was the start of Obamacare with no copay, no deductible, if you have insurance for any FDA approved medication. So we're like, it's gonna be free to the end user. Who in their right mind wouldn't want this? And so that's what we need. As you've said, there's a hurdle for people to adopt telemedicine. There's a hurdle for people to adopt a free delivery service. But if you have a prescription at a pharmacy and you have insurance, you pay us nothing. We are eating the delivery costs. We are eating the overhead, but we are making money just like your pharmacy. The difference between what the insurance pays us and what we can get the medication at. And then in the future, we're going to add things. So Do you want some ibuprofen? Do you want some lube? Do you want some chocolate? Do you want the tea that we just showed you? Do you want, you know, other things? So that's where we'll add to that situation and we're marketing the box. So that's where the money's coming from. But to the end user, if you have a prescription and insurance to cover the meds, we don't take Kaiser. Kaiser wouldn't contract with us then um, because Kaiser's a monopoly. Then it's free to you. If you need a prescription, 20 bucks total steal. We're actually losing money on it to use our expert, passionate, women-dedicated birth control Mm. physicians. And then if you don't have insurance, it's $15 per pack of pills for 95% of the pills. Wow. And $20 if you get one pack. It's a three-pack minimum. But if you get one pack, it's $20 because I got to cover shipping, handling, overhead, and I got to call you every month.
0: But still, I mean, for somebody who doesn't have that option... That's a great option that you offer, right? If they don't yeah. have insurance, that's a way to deal with it and not have to pay the overhead that they would pay even at a pharmacy. It's better to just get it straight to the door, right? With goodies. Yeah, with goodies. I want to hide you. Yes. Okay, so before we move on to the last part, what's one piece of entrepreneurial advice you'd like to leave our listener with? How do you want to encourage these potential female founders and existing female founders with some wisdom from Dr. Yen.
1: Well, as I mentioned, you know, build your community. Make sure you choose your founders wisely to the best of your ability because you're going to be with them for five to 10 years and you're going to spend more time with them than your family. I'm spending like 12 hours a day with my team and my chief operating officer, my new one. I'm not, but newer than the original one is amazing. And she is like my wife, you know, we like all the time together, you know, in each other, there's drama and there's personality, but we all are focused on the common good. My advice is you can do it. If some dude in a hoodie can do it, you can do it. And don't Mm. let anyone tell you no. If you love what you're doing and you have a feasible financial plan, and even if you don't, we've seen tons of dudes go out there and they have no idea how they're going to make money, but it's a thing and they'll figure it out later. So on one hand, I think we as women are very scrutinized when we present. If you can show them the numbers, you're good. But if you can't show them the numbers, it'll be harder. But dudes have done it. So why the hell can't we?
0: Right, right. And just to clarify for everyone listening, the they are the VC, the investors, those people. And so if you're following in the footsteps of Dr. Yen, I think that's some great advice and uh, to take away that we can do it. We can do it. And it also calls us into a more serious space before we get to that place of presenting taking ourselves and our businesses seriously. Don't sabotage yourself before you get to that point. Like do do your homework and take the time to invest in yourself. Okay, before we let you go, we have to do our fast five. I'm just going to ask you five quick questions. Just tell me top of mind, whatever comes up. So number one, entrepreneurial trait, something that an entrepreneur must possess. What do you think it is? Grit. Good one. That's a good one for sure an app that you use for your business?
1: Ooh, I'm not an app person, but I definitely do SendDoc which is great for your PowerPoint slides. You can see how long they watched the Ooh. presentation and which slides they dwelled on. So you can see, oh, they skipped the first six slides and they just focused on the financial slide or they only focused on your competitor slide or they only focus on whatever. So that one is critical because I never send my deck out there because they could keep it forever or whatever. They certainly could screenshot it or whatever, but it is a cool thing. I guess it is an app. It's just not a phone app.
0: So send doc. Okay, we'll have that in the show notes as well. And then what was the first task you hired as soon as you had a little bit of money?
1: I haven't gotten an executive assistant. Everyone says you should get one, but... I think it's the team, right? So who was not part of the original team that we then brought in? We brought in programmer number two, but we also brought in head of marketing. We brought in a campus organizer who's now grown up and is now our head of marketing. So I'm just, these people have been with me for almost five years now. We could have all graduated university together by now. And it's even more intense than a classmate. It's like a roommate.
0: Yeah, Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, those relationships in those startup years are like nothing else. And it's not for the faint of heart, but man, it it's so great. The joy that can come of it and the accomplishment as a team is something special. Okay. Hardest question. Red vines or twizzlers? I didn't even know they were different. I think red vines. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. That's my I don't
1: I haven't meh with Twizzlers. Yeah. Red vines, I'm hmm. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm right. a foodie.
0: Yeah. Okay, even better. A foodie said it right here. I agree.
1: My tip for you, LA people I don't know if you're in LA, but yeah, sidecar donuts.
0: Okay, sidecar donuts. Done. Two tips in one. You heard it here, Liberty listeners. Okay, and then the last question is this podcast is called Liberty for Her. It's our brand. Our mission is to liberate women to pursue their dreams, uh, their entrepreneurial dreams. What does it mean for you when you hear the word liberty? What does that mean to you?
1: It comes to mind. Give me liberty or give me death. Mm. And it is a core American value. It's about freedom and it's about choice. And with that is power. Mm -hmm. If you don't have choices, you don't have power. If you don't have a voice, you don't have power. And I hope that all your listeners realize that you have power with your money. So put your money where your values are and go to FFFL. female founded, female led.co and support the female founders and any female founders out there join. It's free. You just sign up and we're going to list you and we're going to promote you. We're about to do a big PR launch. So this is your opportunity to get free PR.
0: That's awesome. We, again, we'll list that in, in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Yan for making time for us, for sharing your story with us, for educating us a little bit about what you do and how we can get a high chew delivered to our door or tea or we got to get the condom bag. So many things. I so appreciate it and know that our listeners do too.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And then one last tip is yeah. um, pendiahealth.com forward slash periods optional. Anybody with a uterus that's bleeding one week out of four, you don't have to do that. We now have the technology to turn that off And you're going to be far more productive, decrease your risk of cancer, decrease landfill. So please check out my TEDx talk. It's on the bottom on the science and safety of hashtag fewer periods.
0: Awesome. And we'll get that as well to include in the show notes. Thank you again for your time. Liberty listeners, thank you for your time. Thanks for taking an hour to be with us to learn a little bit more. And I hope this is helpful in helping you pursue your venture, whether it's the current one or one you're about to launch. Until next week, talk to you then. Liberty For Her is broadcast on all platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty For Her on Apple Podcasts. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty for Her is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower.